Mike Storm, and together we aim to solve cybersecurity challenges one principle at a time. The only way to be unhackable is to outwit the attacker. Deception is the method. Knowledge of how to deceive is the means. Taking your security personally is the motivation. This is Unhackable, your security podcast about deception and personal security. Target acquired. Let's go. Sun Tzu in The Art of War said that all warfare is deception. You know what? He He was was right. right. And as we talk through various elements of being or attempting to obtain that coveted level of being unhackable, there are certain things that are very critical to consider. The first one is, who's really deceiving who? Or maybe another way to look at it, how do you deceive the deceivers? I know that sounds confusing, but in this episode, we're going to be talking about something very, very critical to your digital well-being. And that is, what happens when you click Click that that link? This is the unhackable principle known as the click principle. Our objective is to understand exactly what attackers are doing, what their attack vectors are when they send you information that warrants you to physically click on something, whether it's on your computer, whether it's on your cell phone, whether it's in social media, possibly an email. There's so many different vectors and various opportunities within each for an attacker to deceive you. And we want to get out of this an understanding of what these deceptive techniques are all about. We want to understand exactly how we can negate those deceptive techniques by taking ourselves from what we like to call a click reflex, where we really want to click that link into the whole concept of clicking with a purpose, understanding exactly what's going to happen when I click that link. And so I've got with me today, Sean, my producer. Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you doing? You know, Sean, if I was any better, I'd have my own ringtone. (laughs) We all need goals, Mike. That's terrific. Yep. And that's one of mine. So maybe one of these days. So Sean, today we are talking about the click, right? That infamous infamous click, click. you know, that potentially scary thing that you get on a voicemail or an email on a text or something like this that, you know, might really hit home, you know, such as a warranties expiring or your credit card's been compromised or whatever it may be. And there is a link attached. And this link in various media types is trying to encourage the user to click that link and then to take them to potentially malicious sites where they might give up personal information, steal credentials, download a file that might contain malicious software, etc. So today we want to understand the difference between the click reflex and clicking with a purpose. What do you think? Mike, let's deal with that word reflex first. And I think that that's the biggest thing that folks need to really understand about this is the attacker is using a reflex. It's not something that you think about. Look, Mike, I click like, what, 850 times a day. I click for finances. I click for social media. I click at work all day long. And the attacker is just trying to slip in one more click. And that reflex is what we've got to work with on this. And it's tough because the whole point of a reflexes, you don't have to think. And we want folks to think sometimes about this. Exactly. And it's not that we're telling the listeners that they're not paying attention. It's just one of those very clever things that attackers do these days in really making something look very legitimate, potentially making something very appealing to maybe a hobby that you have or something you're involved in or even something. And this is probably the worst one, that whole scare tactic, right, where something has happened and you have to click to fix it. And something you said there, the number of clicks, one of the reasons that attackers are so clever is they realize that we're 
in a digital environment, right? Everything we do is either a click or a touch screen. And so it's like this one single action that we almost do naturally today with almost every media type that we use because every digital device on the face of the planet is going to have a click or a touch screen in most cases, right? Clicking is breathing on the internet. Like it's yeah, that, It really is. It's that common. You can't really get anywhere unless you start clicking and you can't really get anywhere in life these days unless you're interacting digitally. You got to click. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think what, you know, not everyone really understands if they haven't dug into like code on the internet and things like this and you know, really that every single element in most cases on a website is clickable. And especially if you're using computer versions or full system versions of websites on your phone, which does happen. I don't know if you remember the days where it seemed like every vendor had the full-blown computer version and they always had a mobile version and the mobile version always sucked compared to the big one, right? And so we'd always revert and it just kind of became a natural thing now for us to kind of see the entire site, even on a phone or a, a tablet. And it makes almost everything on that site clickable. So today, when we talk about this, it's not always just the targeted attack that falls into the click principle. In many cases, it's also the ability for an attacker to actually get something into a legitimate location and get you to click on it because of various tactics. But that's also a danger. So if we start off by really talking about, you know, the first very easy vector of clicking where you're actually getting something delivered, right? So something is arriving on your phone. Maybe it's a spam text. In many cases, it could be a spam call, but let's really focus in on this, you know, this targeted click, right? This targeted text message, email, you know, could be anything along those lines electronically. Do you have any examples by chance? I have a targeted example. I'm just looking at it on my phone here. Uh, you know, for your protection, we've placed a hold on your, and they're using my bank, so my bank's name, account, because of some unusual activity, immediate action is required. And I, I, Mike, I could just tell you by looking at the link that this is spam text. Right. And, and the fact that they got your bank, right? I mean, it's either a really lucky guess or maybe they know something, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, the, the answer either way kind of scares me. But, you know, there's lots of banks out there and somehow they're texting me about my bank. And, and you didn't get any texts about any other bank. So this is definitely uh, something that they probably picked up from a search or picked up from something out there on the net that they've seen you do, right? You know, it's interesting when we think about this, the fact that they're using this scare tactic. And even though you could see that it's not legitimate, I mean, that's that's one of the probably the first if you were to think of a tactic that you could execute here. The very first thing is just stop and look, just look, because in many cases you will find misspellings, you will find obvious, you know, nomenclature issues. You might even see that, uh, you know, somebody who's translated this from another language, the translators don't always fit everything together in proper English. You might be missing some verbs or adjectives, etc. So that's the first thing. Is, is just stop and look. And that's easy. So we don't have to talk about that. But the fact that they used something that was critical to you to get you to click is what's scary. And so I would like to offer our first tactic as, you know, Sean, would you actually click that link to go to your bank, even if it looked legitimate? And that, I'm glad you asked me that, Mike, because the answer for me personally is no, because I have a very, very simple rule that I execute that keeps me from doing that particular thing against my bank. Perfect. And, and so we both use the build a moat 
strategy then, right? You got it. Where, where we have a series of sites that are very critical to our lives, right? They're critical to what we do, finances, you know, medical, these kinds of things. And and what's the rule, Sean, with build a moat? There's only one way in. Take that one way. You know, you, you build a castle around yourself. You moat yourself. You pick five, six, seven websites. You could write them down right now. Like pull your car over if you're listening in your car or stop, ta- you know, stop walking and put them in your phone. Uh, my brokerage account, my bank, my social media. I'm going to have one way to get there. And that's the safe way. You could send me all the links. You could send me all the emails. You can call me and ask me to go there. No. I'm going to go there the normal way. We moat ourselves for that list of five or six or seven core websites. Perfect. And that's actually the key to the tactic for moat is you know the safe way to get there, right? Exactly. We know when we build a castle and there's a moat, the only way you cross the moat is when the drawbridge is down. That is the one way in. So unless you can fly, you got to open that drawbridge. That's how you get in. And so it's that same way every time. We know for a fact that we never use a link in an email to get to our bank. We always instead go to our browser, we type in the bank's URL, we look for that specific picture that understands that it's us or some other factor, and we enter our credentials, our multi-factor authentication element, we get the text on our phone for that purpose, and we know we've gotten into our real bank. Not some facade, but instead the real bank in the safest way possible. Yeah, exactly, Mike. And I think the key thing here is you're using the behavior that the attacker wants you to be weak on. They want you to just mindlessly click and you're making a conscious decision to say, you know what, for these areas that would really screw me up if I lost control of them, I'm going to have a different behavior. And that allows you to sort of mentally, cognitively in that situation say, oh, okay, no, I'm not going to click on that link. I'm not going to do that natural reflex that I have because that's on my list. So again, stop, create that list right now, and then keep listening to the episode. And Sean, you know, there's something that you said that I think is, is really critical here. And that is there's an expected behavior. So we kind of kicked off the episode and I was talking about, you know, how do you deceive the deceiver? What is deception about in this case? because they're obviously trying to deceive you. And the way they're deceiving you is actually quite elegant because they're doing it in a way that a a natural action is what allows the attack to succeed, which is the click or the touchscreen, right? The, The simple action that they're looking for. They're then using human nature as a means of forcing that natural action. And as it's been said many times, humans are much cheaper to hack than systems because they're way more predictable. You know, human nature is human nature. We know exactly how people are going to act. So the fact that we go and deceive the deceiver by taking a different approach, because we know what our habit should be. And our habit should be, we know what path to take to these critical sites is safe. And we take that every time we will not be deceived in any way. And so to that end, what we have effectively done is we have broken the attack chain. And if you think about a chain, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And to be honest, when it comes to attack, the human is the weakest link. And what you have just become is you have just become 
the strongest link because you know of a way to break that attack chain immediately and stop that attack no matter how cheap it was to set up, no matter how elegant it was, nor how widespread it was for the attacker to do that. You don't think they just sent that text to you, do you, Sean? No, because it's, you know, we know how cheap it is to send these texts uh, and these emails out. It's, you know, it's not even pennies per email. This is the ridiculously cost effective. But Mike, you said something, you said attack chain. Not all listeners are cybersecurity professionals. So can you give us a little bit of history and background on the attack chain so that they can orient themselves when we're referring to that? Absolutely. So this is a, a super interesting concept. And if you're a cyber professional out there, you might be listening and saying, oh, the attack chain, that's kind of an old thing to talk about. You know, we're into, you know, the MITRE attack framework now and all these other things that are way more advanced. Yeah, I get it. But the simple fact remains that when all of this began, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the objective was let's determine exactly how an attacker executes their process. Where do they begin? They begin by scanning. You know, they they begin to target. They begin to escalate. They they then, you know, run whatever the capture is, they clean up their track. There's all these, these phases of attack. And in the original attack chain, there were seven different steps. And the objective of a counter hacker was to find a step to break the chain. And obviously, the sooner in the chain you could break it, the less effective the attack was. Because obviously, you don't want to break the chain when they're already cleaning up their tracks, because then they've already taken the data. What we're talking about here is the difference between playing a 60-minute game and having to win at the end versus just being presented with something to click on. And literally, by not clicking the link, you've just broken the chain. You've just won the game. You've just deceived the potential deceiver. And that's a key point, Mike. When it comes to picturing the attack chain, just understand that for that attack chain to work, for it to complete, for all the cycles to have proceeded, you have to participate in that. And you have a choice on whether you help the attacker complete that attack chain and gain possession of whatever you're about to lose. And coming back to that moat yourself tactic, the takeaway is you can immediately choose to save yourself for four, five, six, however many, seven, however many locations that you want to make sure that the attacker can't get to by just simply saying and committing, I'm not going to react to links that are sent to me, I'm going to go there with purpose. And I think that's key. Sean, that is a perfect example of the definition of deception because deception is deviation from anything that's expected. And what does the attacker expect in this overall context of the click? They've put a lot of effort into making something look legitimate, something to scare you, whatever it may be, they want you to click. So you've just invoked their process of carrying out that attack if you click on anything. So if somebody was going to take this to the end of the earth, as far as you know how stringent they're going to be about clicking, you could choose to never click on any link and literally manually access every site in the world if you wanted to. It may be a little bit of overkill because there are certainly things that, you know, a link that you expected because you're on the phone with someone and they said, hey, we're, I've just sent you a link. You know that's very likely legitimate. I mean, there is a chance, but it's very small. Everything else, I mean, you could be very judicious about it, but I think the key to this is, this is about human nature and the human factor. And what the attacker is trying to do is to exploit those two elements, knowing how you will respond and knowing exactly what you're going to do as an action to that response. That's how they make their money. That's how they monetize this stuff. That's how they steal your information. 
So human factor, very important. And that's kind of like the one major sub-principle of this. The second major sub-principle that I want to bring up, and there's tactics involved here, is what if you just can't tell? What if this is not a situation where you're receiving something? And so human nature is not being preyed upon. We haven't received an email. We haven't received a link. In fact, we are just doing our normal daily thing. And you know, to that end, Sean, do you have a website that you browse every day that you have been browsing for a long time and you feel is relatively safe? A website that I feel is relatively safe that I browse all the time, I was just on it, is ESPN. Okay. I feel like I've been on that as long as it's pretty much been a website. And other than my normal precautions, I've never had any sense that anything was fishy. It feels like they do a great job. Okay. Perfect. So the goal wasn't to get ESPN out of you, but the goal was to ah. get the concept. No, and it's okay. The goal was to get the concept that you do have a site. And that's the whole point. And all of us have sites that we browse. Maybe we read the paper online in the morning and we, you know, we're looking at the local newspaper website, whatever it is. The point is you are in an area that you went intentionally, that you go all the time and you feel relatively safe. I won't go so far as to say that you trust it because as cyber professionals, we don't trust anyone, but by the same token, you feel relatively safe. And so if something that looked normal within that site that looked legitimate, it would probably never stand out. This is where the human factor becomes less of a factor yet deception can still happen. So let's take ESPN out of the equation. Let's say any site on the planet now, every single element of a web page is an object. Every object could be tied to a URL. Every URL is a name. This uniform resource locator is a name that maps to an IP address via DNS the domain name system, which is basically like a phone index for the, for the internet. And what's interesting is, is that attackers can hijack DNS on the back end, unbeknownst to the site provider, unbeknownst to the user, and they can redirect you to what looks like a very legitimate site and still steal your information. So you could see this is not something that you would know. This is not something that you can prevent because you're doing nothing wrong when it happens. And that's why I want to talk about another tactic, which is knowing that your system is protected with security elements, not just you as a human, right? It's, it's got to be also the system that you're on. If it's an Apple phone, if it's an Android phone, if it's a tablet, if it's a PC, every system on the planet has capabilities that could be added to it that add levels of security to understand when this kind of thing happens. So again, what's the deception? Well, the deception is deceiving the internet traffic. The deception is no longer the human. This is much more difficult, by the way, than what we've talked about thus far, because this is a very unpredictable type of a situation. If I was an attacker, I must be able to intercept that lookup in real time. And instead of returning the real address of the target, I return a bogus address and I make sure that that internet link, that click that you've just done completely legitimately lands on an illegitimate site that looks to be perfectly good. Crazy, huh? I think it is crazy. And, and the idea might be a surprise for most people that the contents of the page are not always from the originator of the page. 
There are other vendors, other sources of a lot of content, and that content isn't always checked by the originator of the page. So the idea that you trust the page, like I said so quickly, you know what, Mike, I feel like I trust that web page. Extending that trust to all of the elements on that page, what you're saying is that's a mistake, Sean. Yeah. And here's the thing. You may not even know, right? That's that's what's key here. It's not something you're expected to even understand or or realize that this is going on. That's the whole point of it. This, this malvertising, as they call it, is a way for attackers to actually use the system to deliver an ad to a page that you would, you know, potentially extend your trust to because you trust the source of that page, right? And they find a way to either directly bring your traffic to a malicious location where they could possibly steal, they could possibly install or drop data onto your system, or they simply hijack a legitimate ad and redirect. And so I think that this would be a good opportunity to talk about yet another tactic because you know, you've nailed something here, Sean, and that is as we've seen the internet evolve and we've seen this targeted content thing that's been going on with social media and so forth where, you know, really they're targeting the things that you care about and you like and you're interested in. So if I've done a search on let's say a particular type of construction vehicle and it's a brand, I may go to you know, LA Times. I mean, I'm just making something up here. Go to LA Times and I might actually see an ad inserted from this construction vehicle. And for the first time you see this so obvious, it's like, wow, how did they know? <laughs> but this is all based upon browser cookies and things that happen as part of your natural web experience, your natural process of browsing. And it's become, you know, this is definitely not the exception. This is the norm now. And so these targeted advertisements are, you know, in some cases, people appreciate them because they're only seeing content that they care about, but there's also a danger. And the danger is that because that information is seen on the internet, your interests, your, you know, what you search on, et cetera, that means that targeted advertisement can be added to just about any page. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always legitimate. So that said, I would offer this, whether or not you feel that the advertisement is targeted, if it interests you and it's about a product or something that you can buy and you really want to click on it, don't click that link. Instead, drop out to your favorite search engine and search on that product, search on that service, whatever it is, and see what you get. See if you get back legitimate information, a website that you can click to, because this is almost the same as what we talked about with Moat. So we're moating ourselves against malware by using a process of deception. We're not clicking on the ad. We're instead dropping out. We're finding that product online. If we truly are interested in it, we could go ahead and go directly to it, which is a much more likely safe process than clicking through an ad. And Mike, if you think about how people execute that click reflex today, it's kind of a little bit crazy how quick we click on ads and different things like that. Just like you're saying, you know, if I get on a bus, I trust the bus driver driver, that's the sort of owner of the website to keep me safe. But I look down the bus and there's 20, 25 people. I don't trust everybody on the bus automatically. And all of this other content, they're really strangers on the bus. So just stop clicking on that or be safe, Google it and take a safer route. It's really that simple, but you've got to identify the fact that the content of the site is not always the site. A lot of that is stranger content and you don't have to click on the strangers. Exactly. It's interesting too. I mean, one of the factors of human nature and psychology, when you walk into a new place, 
a human is more likely to sit next to someone they don't like than someone they don't know. Oh, wow. Neat. And so it's an interesting psychology, the way that ads are used in sites that we trust, because it's almost like, well, we know this site. And, and it gives us a level of comfort. You know, that ad is not foreign. That ad is not something that we don't know because it belongs to a site, whether it's a site that we want to be on or not, it's there. And so exploiting that human behavior is is just a, a simple means. And and again, I mean, it's, it's also, it's pretty cost effective, right? Because they do this in mass. I mean, we automate things. I, I know I automate all kinds of stuff at home because, you know, tasks have become far too complex to do them all. And so we automate. Hackers automate too. They automate in in, you know, mass scale. And th- and these threats move at what we call machine scale speeds. And here we are with human scale understanding, trying to bridge that gap. And it is just truly unfathomable how massive some of these attack hierarchies and, and constructs are to attack human nature. Mike, I got to call a bit of a, a timeout here right now, because you just talked about the attacker infrastructure and how it's so efficient. I really want the listeners to understand the complexity and what the attackers are achieving on the back end, really from their perspective. How are they setting things up? How are they executing? Let's deep dive deep into that. Okay, Sean. So I, I think I want to use my opportunity to phone a friend on this one. That'd be Okay. Phone away. Okay. I'm going to call up my friend Johnny. And Johnny is the proverbial expert on this type of attack. Now, Johnny's a good guy. He's the he's one of the protectors, one of the defenders, but he understands these tactics better than anyone I know and how they're actually executed. The infrastructure, the process, the cost, the reach, right? The expanse of the threat. So I think he'd be a good one to call. Let me dial him up. Hey, Mike. Hey, Johnny. How did you know it was me? Oh, Mike, you're at the top of my VIP list. You've even got your own ringtone. I have my own ringtone? Wow, that's pretty awesome. I guess this day just does keep getting better. Well, let me tell you why I called. You are live on the Unhackable podcast, and Sean and I have been discussing a very complex topic and truly a a very scary topic when you think about it. So anyway, we just got done discussing malvertising and kind of how you can obviously have a bad ad on a site. On a legitimate site, at the same time, you could have a perfectly legitimate banner ad or an object that exists on a perfectly good site that we're actually seeing attackers being able to intercept on the back end and maybe do a redirect or something like that. And Sean has posed the question as we discuss this, I want to talk about how that works. I want to know how it works. And I couldn't think of a better guy to bring in and talk about this than you. Are you willing to share some of your knowledge with us? Absolutely. I'll do my best. Okay. So the first thing we're talking about advertising and just even web-based advertising in general and how backend intercept and redirects happen. Can you give us some examples of how this technology on the attacker side, how the technology actually works when the attacker can intercept and redirect? Can you give us an idea about how this stuff works? Yeah, sure. So you spoke about infrastructure and redirecting and intercepting. And this is something that attackers could do. For example, they could intercept DNS queries. And instead of the request going and getting resolved to where it should be going, which you know is legitimate, it's going to get redirected to their site. And that is an easy way for them to get malware 
to the first step of the malware attack to be downloaded. It could be a drop or it could be any other kind of file that could be the next thing you know, it's on your network. There's different levels of infrastructure that attackers can put in place to do this. And it could be simple and it could be really complex as well. Okay, I'm going to stop you for a second, Johnny, because you've said a couple of things, and I want to make sure the listeners are all entirely caught up. Sean and I have both talked about this term DNS, but we've really never taken the time to really truly explain it. Can you tell us why we need DNS, why it's so important? Yeah, so the DNS is really important. This is the address book of the internet. So let's say I want to go to my banking website, and I'm not just shouting out there to the internet, connect me with whatever bank I, I bank with. The internet works with IP address. So like I said, this is like the telephone book of the internet. These days, we have so many phone numbers, we don't remember them anymore. In the past, we might have had a little black book, and I want to call my dad. So I would look up his number, and that's exactly what is happening here. So I'm saying I want to connect to a certain website. The DNS query is going to go out there to DNS resolvers and say, hey, give me the IP address for such and such a website. And then my browser or whatever program is running on my machine will go and connect to that IP address on the internet. So if attackers can intercept this process, they can perform something like a man-in-the-middle attack. Instead of the real IP address coming back to my machine, I'm going to be getting an IP address of their infrastructure instead. And they could even make it look the same or feel the same and do the same kind of actions that I'm expecting to get and hide what's really happening in the background. And you can get infected without even knowing. So not only are they carrying out the action of the redirect itself, but it sounds like they actually take extra steps in some cases to even make this new bad location, which is on their infrastructure, look like the location you were expecting. Exactly. And it's like phishing as well. When you click on a link and you think you're going to your banking website, you could be connecting to the attacker's website. And I mean, in today's day and age, you'll never know the difference. That website will look 100% the same to you. And the next thing you know, you're putting in person details and and you don't even know it right so phishing just to make sure the audience is caught up the idea behind phishing which is normally done with email but we're now starting to see this with spam text and a few other things Johnny, give us an idea what a phishing attack is like. All right, I'm going to give you a couple of examples here. So first of all, general phishing is like when you go phishing with a big wide net and you're just going to send out thousands of of emails or text messages. And even if 1% of the people or less click on that as an attacker, your campaign has been successful. So you're sort of going wide and general. And then we have spear phishing where the attacker is targeting somebody specific or a number of specific people. These are high profile targets where they're going to benefit so much more if successful. So these could be executives high up in a company, you know, somebody who's involved in financial detail, somebody who's involved in financial data, but there's more to gain here by the attack being successful. And they would have done their homework before they target these spear phishing targets. They're going to do the recon and they might even collect information. There's a lot of personal information, PII, that can be achieved by picking up a bit here, a bit there. There's lots of different ways. All the pieces of the puzzle can be brought together. Yeah, so you just called out the first few steps of the attack chain, which is perfect because Sean and I have actually been talking about that as well. So one quick point of clarification, I wanted to ask you about when you were referring to, you know, the notion of a successful campaign and benefiting from a spearfish. 
the idea is monetization. Now, we've really driven this point hard and tried to drill this into our audience brains that hackers monetize. That's the whole oh, point yeah. of this yeah. right there. Absolutely. The financial gain will be huge. You know, they could lock all the files of a company with ransomware and benefit if the ransom gets paid up, or they could steal credentials. They could take over bank accounts. They could steal funds. It's never ending. There's so much financial gain. This is a huge, huge business. There's so many different levels of infrastructure as well. The attackers can sometimes very quickly put a, an infrastructure together and, and steal credentials, or it could be a very, very complex infrastructure. Hey, they could even offer it as a service. There's malware as a service. So, you know, we're talking about cloud and as a service, there's even malware as a service. And and it's huge networks all on the dark net and people can buy the services and, and then they can give rating back to the, the people they've bought the service and the infrastructure from as well. It's like eBay, but on the dark side. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to hear how easy it is for attackers to set up these infrastructures. It is amazing. And, you know, once once the, the attackers are just getting more and more sophisticated because it's not just their infrastructure that they're running, they're taking over whole organizations' networks, private people's networks, and that's how their botnet all comes together. And the next thing you know, they've got computers out there in the wild that they've compromised, and they're doing the work for them and collecting additional credentials. You know, it just gets wider and wider. When I hear this, and I'm thinking about, you know what, what I end up with is a click on, or, or a, a request to click, a link that I get sent. And you said botnet. Walk me through what a really large botnet looks like so our viewers can have a clear picture of the, of the, the breadth of that infrastructure. Okay, Sean, that's a great question. So when we're talking about these botnets and compromised machines, what attackers are doing is they're taking advantage of legitimate networks and machines, you know, computers on the internet that are already out there, and they can compromise them, take over them. So you might be a target of an attack, but you might not actually be the victim. The way that you've been impacted is that your machine is now part of this bot. So you might not be the end target. And what's happening is that, um, have either of you heard of command and control? We have. Oh yeah, we have, of course, but our yeah. listeners may not have. So please proceed. All right, so let's explain a bit about the command and control. What happens here is that if I have, man as an attacker, if I've managed to get some malicious code on a machine and that code is now stealing data or credentials, it could be a keylog or it could be anything, monitoring what I'm doing, picking up the credentials, I need to now get that information back to me, back to command. So the controlled machine is going to try any way it can to get that information out. And it can be hidden, for example, in DNS queries, also known as DNS tunnels. It could be um, hidden in URLs, so long URLs. So another way that attackers can avoid getting detected is to use something that's known as Domain Generation Algorithm, DGA. Now, what DGA is doing is they're writing an algorithm that is going to spit out names of domains. But if you look at it, it's just a, a bunch of characters, and it just looks like rubbish to you and I. But what they're doing on the other end is they're taking these domain names and registering them and well, the malware is going to try to talk out. So it's going to try making these requests go out one after the other, thousands and thousands, until it hits a domain name that matches and then it communicates with it and it um, sends the, the stolen data out. Now, it could be that five minutes after that, any kind of malware detection engine is going to detect that that, that domain is malicious and block it. But it doesn't matter because the information has already been passed and the malware is already trying to talk to the next domain and the attackers are registering the next domains as well. So even though the algorithm punches 
reaches out thousands and thousands of domains, they're only going to use a small number of those. So there's loads and loads of different ways that attackers have found of stealing that information out using compromised machines on the internet and picking up the information very widely. So I got a few major things out of that amazing explanation, Johnny. One was that a tremendous amount of automation with only a little bit of effort, being able to churn out this stuff very, very quickly. But another thing that I think was really important that you hit on was the attacker can be one step ahead of pretty much all the detection that's going on just because of that automation and so forth. True? Yes, that's very true. You're right. With minimum effort today, attackers can really put in place a sophisticated network and and after that's very much automated. And if they don't have the knowledge themselves, I mean, malware is a service, right? They go ahead and buy some time slices off of somebody else's existing botnet and they're off and running. I mean, it just sounds to me to be way too easy. Absolutely. That's what they'll do. And, you know, and if the campaign later was successful, hey, you give good feedback and a high score to where you bought the malware from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have to say, and I think, Sean, you'll probably agree with this statement. This is scary. Very scary. If if. I didn't understand the level of sophistication on the defensive side, which we didn't cover today. I would definitely be very, very scared. And that's not really our point to, is to scare people. It's understand there's lots of sophistication on the good guy side, too, that we're not covering here. That's, that's correct. And to that point, let's take a quick moment to discuss that particular point, because I think it's really important after we've, you know, kind of used this scare tactic to indicate how complex and how sophisticated and potentially how successful these campaigns can be based upon the infrastructure, the automation, the capability, and just the ability to innovate using all of the industry's techniques and technologies, not just the ones that you've purchased to defend yourself, right? big difference. I mean, certainly the attacker has the advantage there, but it's critically important for our listeners to understand that even though we're talking about the things that happen and what not to click on and to try to look for things, it's almost impossible sometimes to know every time. The human factor is not always effective at determining this. And so I think it's important for the listeners. They just heard from you, Johnny, about the attacker's capabilities. I think the last thing that I would want to ask you, Johnny, tell us about the defenses that we can use to combat these techniques where the user themselves does not have to make the choice or actually see it happen before it does because there is in fact software hardware and so forth that can actually do it for us that is important as well and i think it's a good point to end on because um just like the attackers are taking advantage of technology to launch their attacks there's a, a lot of thought that's gone into these different engines that are used to protect the users and, and their data and, and organizations and it's all done in a multi-layered way so it's like when you say, okay, I lock my front door, but I've also got an alarm and I've also got a dog. So, you know, we've got multi layers in security as well. So we're seeing the use of all kinds of algorithms that use machine learning and uh, sort of self-learning techniques. A lot of these are statistical models that look at the big data and look for anomalies. They might build what they know as a, a baseline that should be normal, and they'll look for anything that's unusual or suspicious outside of that activity. So as well as physically inspecting all the data that comes in and out, there's also tools that and, and these engines that will look for something that looks unusual and will sort of light a flag up and then that can be inspected in more detail. And there's also retrospective tools as well, which are going to look at events after they happen and, and could go back and flag an admin to say, hey, we noticed an event on your network that's suspicious. You might want to take a closer look at this. 
Yep. And it, and it sounds to me that those data models, the, the statistical analysis models that you talked about, could even help detect some of these randomized domain names that are popping up at such a rapid rate just because they are abnormal, correct? That's correct. But we can even take it a step further than that because you know, you and I and any of us just looking at those uh, fuzzy names will know that there's something wrong with them. Some statistical models in these engines, they can go as far as detecting maybe two or three of these domain names that are clearly not real, but they might be able to reverse engineer and calculate the configuration that's used in the algorithm and then we can be proactive and we can have a list of thousands or maybe tens or hundreds of thousands of domains that haven't even been generated yet. And when we see them, we don't even need to think, okay, is this DGA or not? We know this is on our list and we're going to block it immediately. It's real cat and mouse. The attackers and the protectors, they're sort of jumping ahead of each other all the time. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is just so fascinating. I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. I mean, just even talking about these predictive algorithms and things like this, where we already know that these crazy domain names that are going to be used because the artificial intelligence built into the model is already deconstructed and reverse engineered the algorithm that they're using to generate them. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. And it's just amazing stuff, amazing technology. Uh, this stuff is so intriguing. And I guess that's the reason why we love cybersecurity, right, Johnny? Yeah, it's very smart. It's always fast paced and moving and new things to understand and learn. And it's great to see that we can deploy so many advanced methods to do good things as well. Yeah, fantastic. So, so Johnny, I can't thank you enough for jumping in on such short notice here and locking in a quick little phone-a-friend interview here on the Unhackable podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Of course, your expertise is always appreciated, my friend. Always great to talk with you. Pleasure, Mike. Speak to you soon. Wow. Listening to Johnny talk about this stuff, I mean, it's it's so easy for him, isn't it? The way he communicates, I really appreciate how he makes it really straightforward and impactful for, for people to understand. Yeah, it's truly amazing the amount of innovation that attackers have today. And, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you think about it, if you're a defender, you know, your ability to defend against all of the attack types, the hacker types, is based exclusively on what you've installed what you've purchased as part of your security solution. Whereas the attacker gets to innovate using every tool in the industry, even tools that have been pre-built where they don't really have to do any work, right? So it's, it is very cost-effective and you know, it, the, the old adage holds true. They only have to be right once. We have to be right every time. And that, that poses a challenge. They have to be right once, but Mike, as we've said today, we have to participate for them to succeed. And this is all about getting those tactics that folks can use that are relatively straightforward to execute to make sure that they're not participating in the attack chain. They're not participating in their own demise. Exactly. It's a monetization game. They're learning how to make money off of human nature, off of, you know, our, uh, uh, inconsistencies and so forth. And that's that's definitely a challenge. But, you know, all in all, I think we've done a really good job of, number one, explaining the vectors, talking about how to defend them, and, and then also giving some tactics. Let's review. Roll the tape. So we kind of started off by discussing some examples of attack vectors with some email, possibly spam text, whatever it may be, the ways that attackers are trying to deceive you based upon human nature, because human nature is so predictable. We talked about ways to defeat that, such as... Tactic, Tactic number, number one, one. moat yourself. The first thing that you always do is take those most critical sites, write them down and make sure that you always go to those locations using the safe method, the method that you know. 
is being controlled by you. You are not being led, and that's the key to this. No one is leading you to that site. Tactic, Tactic number, number two. two. The human factor only goes so far. We may not be able to tell the difference. And that's why it's so important for us to realize that security components, security software is so critical to have protecting the systems that we're using to interface our digital world. Tactic number three. You're browsing that site that you browse every day. You feel that it's safe. You've never had anything happen. You have to remember that an extension of trust can be a downfall because of malvertising, because of methods that are used to even attack the most legitimate sites on the planet and to redirect you to a location that could steal information, could potentially install or drop malware on your machine. So if that's the case, the, the two main things that you can focus on, number one, security software to help to cover the things that you can't see. And number two, if it happens to be something you can control, an interesting ad product service, go ahead and drop out of that website, deceive the deceiver by not clicking, look it up, hit the website, see if it's legit, do it outside of the context of where you've been led. Because you have control, that is gonna make your session that much more secure and prevent you from becoming a target in this case. Mike, I think something that's really important here is to, is to understand what we're trying to deliver We've all been in these those trainings where folks pound the table and say, don't click, don't click, don't click. You know, some of us may have even given those trainings before, but just telling people just not to click doesn't work. You know, you can't short circuit. So if you're listening here and you're a cybersecurity professional and you're an employee at an organization and what we're saying makes sense, actionable things that will work like moding yourself, definitely forward this to your coworkers or forward this to your user base and have them try these techniques because these techniques are going to work and they're going to work a lot better than yelling, hey, don't click, don't click, don't click. So we invite folks to do that and help their coworkers. If you could think of one or two people that this might help stop again forward this podcast to them and let's help some more people we've heard some terrific feedback mike i know you've heard it from our first episode and how we've literally helped people on mass absolutely and and that's always been our goal sean our our goal is always change behavior right to change behaviors that help our listeners become harder targets while we can never truly be unhackable there isn't a single thing on earth that can really be by today's standards we can certainly execute practices that make us a harder target and make it less likely that we become a victim. And that's ultimately what this is about. And you know, making unhackable the most forwarded podcast on the planet is the best idea I think I've ever heard because that's how we get the word out. It does take all of us to make this happen. And so I thank you very much for that, Sean. And something that you said that I wanted to just close the loop on as well, you know, the don't click that link. Here's the thing. Don't click that link is the end. We haven't really said, don't click that link to end it. We've said, find another way to access the resource that you know is safe. Exactly. There's a huge difference between just not doing something and doing something right. And that's been the whole objective here is to show people how they can take this human behavior-based clicking reflex that the attacker is counting on and expecting from you and turning it into a safe way of determining if the information is legitimate, checking your bank, whatever the case may be, it will give you that ability to keep yourself safe. Sean, thank you so much for being part of this. And again, it's been a pleasure talking with you. We'll see you next time 
on Unhackable. In the infamous words of Sun Tzu, the greatest victory is that which requires no fighting. I hope you find these techniques useful on Unhackable. Solving cybersecurity challenges with grit, one principle at a time. This is Mike Storm, and until next time, this is Unhackable. Thanks for listening.